I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Foodist Culture, a podcast. When was the last time you had a fine dining experience? I must say, it's been a lifetime for me, literally my daughter's lifetime. I think the last wonderful fine dining experience I had was when I was pregnant with her. My husband and I celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary, a lifetime of handy ago. Well, I was beyond excited to sit down with Brad Wiesner from Four Shoe Interior Designs and speak on all things fine dining and a social lubricant that keeps society moving, manners. The ribbon of this episode is dining etiquette, and I could have spoken to Brad all day. Growing up in D.C. sounds so fascinating, and all the ways he speaks of the times and accompanying his mom's shopping makes me wistful for a time I didn't experience. Midnight in Paris is on my list of top movies, and I know better to say that I was born at the wrong time, though I do sometimes feel like I was born a little too late in this lifetime. But hearing Brad's stories, he paints such a beautiful and vivid picture of the times. Enjoy and cheers. Brad, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. So, um, getting re- excited and ready for this interview, thinking of crisp linens and hotels and all of that, it just got me so excited. <laughs> it is. It's a it's a lovely thing to think about, and uh, uh, I I did work in that field for a long time. So uh, I I, uh, I was with Ritz Carlton Hotels and luxury properties, and now I do interior design. But I think it, I think there's a connection there somewhere. But yeah. Oh, for- for sure. Well, we'll start with um, how do you define your cultural background? I would say American, just American. Uh, you know, my e- ethnicity, I guess, is uh, German and Scotch and Irish and whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't wait to take one of those testing devices. I, I hope I'm a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I would love the most. But my cultural background really is um, unabashedly American, you know. I, I, American foods and American cars and American lifestyle. Food, you know, I, I, I think I would say more uh, continental mm-hmm. background. For sure. What would you say is your first memory of food? <clears throat> mm, I, would, I would answer that with my first memory of food experience. Um, this story may not be as much about the food because – Honestly, I don't remember what was on the plate, but <clears throat> I, uh, I, I think it was very formulative. <clears throat> when we were young, I don't know if anybody remembers, uh, women would shop sometimes for fine clothing. They would go to the department stores, have lunch in the tea rooms or dining rooms, and the models would walk around the room, and you'd point out, I'll try on that Dior, I'll try on the black little Balenciaga over there, and, you know, and after lunch, the dresses were laid out, and my mom would buy our dresses and we would go, we would be all dressed up and always in a suit and tie. And my two younger sisters always in dress. And we had little coloring books for boys and coloring books for girls. I remember that. But this room, this room, uh, this place was uh, white and white tablecloth and white walls and crystal chandeliers above. And I remember the sunlight coming in. We were sitting right by a column, and I don't remember if it was a fluted column or a smooth column, but I do remember the the capital at the top was a Corinthian capital. And I just knew in that moment, I was probably six years old, I think, and I knew without a doubt that I was going to be part of this world. Um, that's when it happened. And I think I, I think I could have told you that it wasn't as much about fashion, 
but I don't know if I could have explained or, or articulated that it was about the built environment. That's what it was really about. And so it set off this big journey in my life for interior design, really, but so much of it was through food. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And growing up, uh, you know, in, in college and, and, and waiting on tables and be, restaurant management and coming up through the food and beverage and the hotel and the hospitality industry, always luxury properties. Um, it was about food. It was about service. It was about the setting. It was about the experience. But for me, it was formed greatly by the built environment first. But uh, but on to food. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. And I think interior design and being in hotels, ultimately our homes and hotels are where we sleep and eat. And um, being interested, I think, in interior design from such a young age probably influenced your whole journey and what you do now. I, I definitely think so. And, and uh, it, um, on a primary level, it formed my desire to be in luxury environments. Um, I was a waiter. Uh, you know, you can, you can make $100 a night being a waiter. Um, you can do that with picnic tables, paper tablecloths, crabs, and corn, and pitchers of beer <laughs> outside and have a good time and make $100 a night. Mm-hmm. Or you can wear a tuxedo, be in a chandelier dining room, and uh, make $100 a night. And I thought, you know, I think I'm a chandelier guy. And <laughs> yeah. that's where I end up. <clears throat> um, so did you go to school for interior design or were you going to school for something else? I did not. I, uh, uh, I, I grew up telling people I was going to be a doctor because that impressed people. So I thought that would work. But Billy, did you know in college when you go for pre-med, did you know that there's chemistry involved? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I figured there'd probably be lots of science involved. Well, science is fine. Biology, I loved. Anatomy, physiology, cellular, yeah. Chemistry, what? What? Yeah. No. Um, I, I barely passed myself, so. <laughs> my father passed away right at that particular time, and um, it was uh, devastating to me. And so I kind of dropped out for a semester and, and just went back and got permission to take 22 credits a semester to uh, get a business degree. And it was when the school was forming a, a new school of business. I think I got a great education in business. So. Mm-hmm. No, not for interior design, not for food and beverage management, but I, uh, I left college and ended up in, in management of hotels, probably too young. I was 26 as a food and beverage director of a pretty prominent hotel. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And what is sort of like the day to day responsibilities and duties of that? As a food and beverage director Mm -hmm. in a hotel, You're responsible for all food and all beverage. That means from the moment it's coming in the back door, how is your receiving? How is your procurement? How do you store things? How do you manage the the distribution of the food? Once you're inside the building, you start thinking about you're responsible for all the different kitchens that would be involved, the banquet kitchen, the the, the main kitchen, uh, room service, bars, uh, VIP baskets, all the banqueting and events, all of the dining rooms, uh, you know, and, and if you're in certain kinds of properties, you, you might have an extensive uh, wine list. You may, you may have a very famous chef and um, 
in, in a lot of hotels, you have more than two or three dining rooms and it becomes mm-hmm. quite, quite the, uh, management, uh, issue mm-hmm. to control costs and to look at payroll and to train employees and to have programs and developments and things. So, yeah. That, wow. It's sort of like Downton Abbey times 10, <laughs> times 20 almost. Well, you know, I, I uh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, it, when I was in school taking all those credits, one of the things that I would do to take a break, because I lived in the library, I just lived there all day, is I would go to this cookbook section and open up books. And I, I almost didn't recognize the food. It was so, it was artwork, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I cut my teeth on, you know, Escoffier, Kareem, you know, Jacques Pepin, <clears throat> Julia Child had been on TV and helped form this very French discipline, I think, is where where I got my first impressions. So um, I worked as a waiter in a restaurant in Washington, D.C. called Four Ways, uh, 19, early 1980s. And it was it was high end. It was very high end. Uh, you know, our, our chef was was famous and uh, we, I waited on Nancy Reagan and Edwin Meese and, and very famous people all day long. And, and our chef was Jacques Barr. Um, and I remember being downstairs in the kitchen, you know, the bowels of the building. And there's a very French battery there, the, the head chef, the, the executive, executive sous chef, you know, uh, the saucier, le plongeur was the dishwasher. But the saucier and I, I, I would talk to him about the sauces, you know, and if tonight we're doing... Uh, uh, a mousseline sauce? Are we doing a, a, a Chiron, a Soubise? Uh, and he he knew that I knew the difference. And when we were talking about a Bernays versus a Chiron, um, Chef Jacques came over and he said, because I was the only American, I'm there in my tuxedo, I'm the white American guy. You know, the rest of the guys, this was a career for them, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was pretty good money. And Chef Jacques said, how do you know about these? How do you, you know, you know, a, a, a Soubise? And when I said, and he looked at the whole team because everybody, if the chef is talking to a waiter, something's going on. Mm-hmm. He said, give him his food first from now on. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So life in a French restaurant. And uh, I also worked at Romeo and Juliet, uh, a very high end Italian restaurant where Roberto Donna was our chef. And he went on to be quite famous in Washington um, and still is. He's a respected chef. And there's this real culture of um, the, the discipline of service, you know, waiting mm-hmm. at table, um, whose, whose tables were set. There was really quite the um, competition, quite the culture between the wait staff, the front of the house staff, of how well do you do. And um, at Four Ways, I learned early on, one of the biggest insults that you can get is when you're standing in the back by the espresso machine or the coffee makers. And one of the more senior staff looks at you and says, how long have you been doing this? Hmm. That's a, that's a <laughs> dig. That means okay. something, something is um, not right. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very important that we polish our glasses or fine crystal the, the Christoph silver was perfect, and um, it was very beautiful. It was very beautiful. I went there to the, um, uh, be a food and beverage director mm-hmm. and started in Baltimore, but got promoted to the West End Cafe in Washington, D.C., uh, one Washington Circle Hotel. And uh, 
in, in that hotel at ground level is this cafe. And I thought, wow, I can't believe that I get to do this. Nobody knows this, but when I was a kid, my parents, they took us out all the time in Washington. Mm -hmm. How it was formed for me is that we entertained at our house a lot. My mother was all about entertaining and, and diplomacy and, and, and the mix of the people. It was always going out to Blackie's House of Beef or, or Saint Souci or Rive Gauche and Circle One. Circle One was this restaurant that was at ground level at one Washington Circle. And it wow. was red leather banquettes and the French waiters. And we were very young running around the hallways there. But yeah, we were at Circle One a lot. And now the incarnation of that space is the West End Cafe. And I'm here and I can't believe it. And Janet Terry was our chef. Our, our food critic in Washington, D.C. then was Phyllis Richmond. And she adored Janet. We had wonderful reviews. It was the burgeoning American food scene. And the American food scene was blowing up. That's amazing. Well, and that was one of my next questions was growing up, did your mother cook often or did you eat out often? My mother and father both knew how to cook. We had cookbooks and we got gourmet magazine and um, we ate well, uh, but it was the late 1960s. You know, we, uh, the three of us had our little bar dining area more in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And my mom and dad would eat in the dining room right next to us. And uh, they would talk about their government lives and the, 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 the annals of, of, you know, who's working where with what. But we were in the kitchen. And if we didn't like something, I could pass it to my little sister because she had the trash can right under her side. <laughs> but, but I would say more that the, the experience that I gleaned from my parents was much more about the cocktail parties at our home where everybody went. Our, my mother decorated our home very nicely. You know, it was quite the education in the art of hospitality, mm -hmm. um, which was personified when we went out to dinner, which we did very often. So, you know, and it might've just been flagship restaurant down by the water, that seafood restaurant that's now gone, you know, any birthday mm -hmm. we could choose where we were going to go. Mm -hmm. So my sister loved the, the, uh, flagship restaurant for lobster and for, uh, the rum buns they had, but really Billy, it was more about the exposure to, uh, sit up straight. Don't put your elbows on the table. Uh, if you're going to the restroom, your napkin lays on the seat. Mm -hmm. If we're leaving your napkin goes on the table, put your silverware this way, Had, you know, and you mm -hmm. roll your eyes as a kid, but you do, you learn these manners, this etiquette of, of dining. Um, mm -hmm. Which come to find out when you're older and you're being interviewed, you're taking, you're being taken out for a meal. The, the executives of the company want to see how you act at the table. It says a lot about people, how you treat the wait staff and, you know, how, how you, how you allow yourself to be waited on and um, how you, how you use your silverware. And if the clues that, that suggest how you were raised. For sure. I think, Sometimes, or maybe now, just in general, there's definitely something missing from teaching that to children, I think. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I was the last generation to learn <laughs> that, but going out with younger friends um, that don't know which, how to eat at a table at a, at a restaurant. It's I, surprising. I agree completely. I, I uh, am quite concerned about our lack of manners as a society 
here in America. And I mean manners everywhere. And we won't get into the political state or our culture now, but I do think that it is illustrated completely at table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, I heard I, I was it wasn't Twitter. It was um, TikTok or, or Instagram. So, you know, a, a young lady saying, I don't know why they ever told us not to put our elbows on the table. What's the big deal with that? Right. Because because like now we can do that now. We're we're a different. No, 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 no. There's <laughs> there's a reason for that. And um, there's a reason why you're silver. There are all reasons you, you mm-hmm. see. And and if you weren't taught the reason, you were at least taught to do it's manners. Manners are what lubricate our society. Mm-hmm. It's, it, we, we we're allowed to expect the other person to do things that, that that don't confront, that don't jar, that don't. And and uh, I'm I'm quite concerned about it. I I, I think that uh, I I mentor young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I mentor and volunteer in lots of different ways, but. When when young people come into my life, I, I can see sometimes that they don't have a father, that they don't they they're they're from a broken home or this background, and, and I'm like, you come here, come with me, mm-hmm. let's go to a men's clothing store. I'm going to show you what it's like to shop in a men's a proper men's clothing store, how to be measured, what that's like, why you do this, that how you dress. Here, sit at my dining room table, all the silverware. No, 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 hold it like this, even to the point where. When you're finished, some people know that you place your silverware parallel to each other at a, at a slightly diagonal on your plate. Mm-hmm. That means that when the waiter comes by, and you notice I'm using the word waiter, mm-hmm. I, I I could say server. Mm-hmm. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, women, completely women, fine. It's, it's not about gender. So mm-hmm. please, please, when I say waiter, I mean the person who is, is waiting at table. Mm-hmm. But to inform that person that you're finished, you just lay your silverware that way. They know. They come and they remove your plate. And, they and it's always, easier for them to grab. because It's, it's less mm-hmm. rattle. Mm-hmm. It's it, They always remove it from the right so that you know that when somebody's coming from the right, they're taking something away. If they're coming from the left, they're presenting something. You know these things because you've been trained to lubricate. You, mm-hmm. you, we never in a million years, Billy, would never have someone walk up to our table and go, Hi, I'm, I'm Robert. I'm your waiter for today. My background is this, and, you know, we have this today, and our history of this restaurant, and it's all about me, and so if you need anything, you just let me know. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, if I need anything <laughs> and I have to let you know, you're not doing your job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when you come back up to the table and the lady sitting next to me has a half a glass of, of water there, you don't need to ask her if she'd like more water. Just pour it. Yep. Just keep her glass full. Mm-hmm. You don't have to walk around the table and say, "Are you are you finished?" Well, dude, look at look at my silver. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm finished. Now I just interrupted my conversation to answer the way. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. The biggest compliment that we ever got is when people said, "I never, I never knew that you were even around." This mm-hmm. meal happened. I never saw your face. I never saw anything. It just happened. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest compliment. Yeah, there's two things I want to dive into what you said because I'm sitting here nodding and agreeing with everything. Um, My parents work in film and uh, I grew up, you know, 80s, 90s. And this term, uh, 
waiter, waitress, actor, actress, uh, yes. steward, stewardess sort of had started coming out like the S's. And um, <clears throat> I remember one scene I had been on set with my parents and the scene finished and the woman did an amazing job, the actor. And my mom said, now that is an actor. She knew her line. She delivered them well. Like she's just so passionate. Like she hones her craft. She came up through the theater. Like that is an actor. And then, you know, a couple of days later there was this sort of pretty blonde that the director had hired, didn't know her lines, couldn't, there's a saying, hit her mark and barks. Like she couldn't do any of that. And my mom goes, and she's an actress. <laughs> wow. It's, yes. It's not a, you know, just a waitress waiter. It's, it's not a, I don't think a gender thing. It's, is someone really honing their craft and a waiter that is a that is a career people are waiters for their career it's a there is a love of service and um i don't think that people should be upset by calling someone a waiter or waitress or you know any of those any of those things so that's one thing i wanted to say and then the second was um with the with the table and the cutlery you know i think people think that these are just useless formalities but if the plate is if you're done and the cutlery is set on one side, having been a waiter myself, if the cutlery is placed on angle, when I go to reach the plate, I can slip my thumb over the cutlery and I don't have cutlery flying all over the place, rattling around the table. And I'm not, a knife isn't falling in someone's lap or something. Um, So all of these things, although they kind of may seem overly formal when you're first learning them, it really does lubricate the whole experience. And, you know, you shouldn't have a waiter trying to flag down a waiter because you want another drink or because you're, someone's had their, their salad and you don't even have a salad and they're done their salad and you're wondering where your salad is. Like there's just definitely a lack of formality nowadays at restaurants that isn't great. If, and if I may, I'm going to jump in and say, I, I'm, I don't call it a lack of formality. <clears throat> it's a lack of attention. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, formality. Um, at the West End Cafe, it wasn't formal. Oh, don't get me wrong. It was very beautiful mm-hmm. and it was very sophisticated. But we had a rather well-known piano player in the bar area that echoed everywhere through the... We, I, I hired a woman named Gerlinda. Um, maybe she was 55 years old beautiful German woman, sexy, always dressed beautifully at the front door. And and once service was going, she would take a bottle from the bar, these Goldwasser liqueur that has the flakes of gold in it, and walk around the dining room saying, I line you with gold, you know, and she'd pour Mm -hmm. little glasses for people just for fun. It didn't Mm -hmm. cost anything. What a hit. And so Mm -hmm. it was decidedly not formal, but it was very sophisticated. It could be Germany, the 1930s with Billy Joel and Cabaret. It could be the new American cuisine with bouquets of spring bulb flowers on the table and Janet's cooking. And it was, oh, the buzz. But there was, mm-hmm. there was attention. There was yes. attention. To, and, and even the most formal environments, there's attention. And, and as, as a waiter or a server, what, you, you, you're in your tuxedo. You would come around a table and you would look at the host Mm-hmm. And you would wait for eye contact. And if the host knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. he sees you. Eye contact. Just look in the eye. Look away. We don't. That means we don't need anything. Mm-hmm. If you look in the eye and and maybe a hand gesture or uh, maybe maybe as now as the waiter said, would you like another cocktail? Absolutely. But, mm-hmm. you know, shall I refresh your white wine glass? You don't need to ask that. 
If you start to pour, you watch the hand. If the hand sort of says no, then you then you don't. But as, as, as you said, Billy, if you don't have your silverware the right way, number one, that means they have to ask, are you finished? Mm-hmm. Which, that's weird to me. Then the waiter has to take your silverware and put it on the angle, so there's the clacking of all that going on, mm-hmm. so that he can then take the plate. Oh, it's all just... Yeah. You know, and and to, and to some younger people, it'd be like, "What's the big deal?" Yeah, um, it, it just makes ahead. everything smooth, flow a little smoother when pay things pay are- to pay two hundred dollars a person mm-hmm. for your experience <clears throat> and see what experience you get. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was having dinner. This was years ago now, but I was having a dinner with a couple girlfriends, and we were at a very nice restaurant. And one girlfriend had a habit of leaning on the table, and she was leaning on the table, and she was always like clutching her wine glass around the, the not the stem, the but bowl, the, the, the bowl, bowl. <laughs> mm-hmm. and holding. And then she was always like, "I wonder, like you know, the waiter would top up all of our wine glasses, and she would kind of lift her glass up to meet the waiter's." The, Oh, and I that's, yeah, cringing God. and cringing. Yeah. Like, stop doing that, please. Stop. It makes that. it so much more difficult. <laughs> uh, now, now I'm trying to, you know, do an aerial ballet with you, mm-hmm. coordinating your wine. Of wine. <laughs> Put the leave, leave your. Oh God, the fingerprints all over the bowl, the warming of the wine. How many ways is that wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, it, Go ahead. It's your wine glass. I don't know. It's your experience. <laughs> yeah, I um, I really enjoy Bethany Frankel's podcast, and she one of the latest episodes. She went on a little bit of a rant at the beginning on how it they went to her and her fiance went to a restaurant, and all the courses were totally staggered, and nothing came out together. And you know, she essentially had eaten her whole meal before her fiance's even his salad had come out, and she was like, "What is this? Like, this is this isn't." this isn't fine dining. This isn't eating in a restaurant. Like, is this trendy? Is this cool? No, it's annoying. And we need to get back where everyone has a course. And if one person orders a salad and one person doesn't, you ask, would are are you, are you sure you don't want a salad? You know that they're going to be sitting there eating without like, and but also waiters shouldn't have to explain that to people. People should realize. I think if three people at your table order escargot and one person doesn't, then all four people order a salad. All four people order an entree. Mm-hmm. We should all understand. Three of us are getting escargot. One isn't. Mm-hmm. And then and then comes I don't know. It, yeah, it's just boggles my mind. Of you know, and then the well, could I have my salad when they have their escargot? Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and and it's all fine. You want to please. You yeah. certainly want to provide what they want, but. Um, Everyone's going to eat their escargot with a little tiny fork. And one, two, three, you know how yeah. fast that goes. Uh, really, you can, you can while you're still working on your salad, uh, and the waiters will wait because they will, they will not remove anything until all the women are finished. Mm-hmm. And, and that was another thing. It was going to a table, walking up to a man's seat position from the right, and remove any while a woman is still first of all in front of a woman uh, second of all she's still eating but let me take your plate because that'll really help tell her that she's a pig and she just keeps eating and keep, <laughs> what what are you doing leave it alone let let everybody you know Which so I, there's that 
that used to drive me nuts on dates when I was in my early 20s. I went on a couple dates where I'd actually have my date ask the waiter, oh, can you take my plate away? And I'd be oh. so insulted, like sitting there like, I don't oh, think that I'm a slow eater by any means, but I don't want to sit here continuing to chow down I guess my I, steak freights. <laughs> I, I guess I'm done too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's hint number 16 about your date, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, clue, clues of how we were raised and, 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 we, and we judge. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the kindest way, I hope. Mm-hmm. We, we look and we judge, we determine, we figure out, we, you know, do you want to have kids? Do, do you want to get married? How, what kind of life would you want if you were married? Uh, yeah, we interview. And part of the interview is asking the waiter to take your plate first while I'm still eating just tells me that you weren't raised that way. That's all, you know. Mm-hmm. But. Um, well, and how someone treats a waiter, I think. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've worked in service and. Um, I think everyone should at some point because you have a better appreciation for the person. They're, they're people. They're not just, you know, someone that's serving you or someone to be rude to. And I, I think that sometimes it's people feel like it's a flex or people seem bigger when they are, you know, being rude to a waiter. And it's just so unnecessary. I've, I've left dinners before they were done because a date was rude to a waiter. Yeah. I, I can't agree more, of course. And you and I were both, in service, you know, we, we waited at table. Um, but if it, if it is someone's personality and they're a jerk and they're an ass and they want to flex and they want to, then, then there's that spectrum of it, which just dude, you're a jerk. When, when somebody doesn't know any better and they're starting to take it out on the waiter, Mm. when some of us know this is so out of his control. These, the Bethany, these meals coming out all different timing like that. The mm-hmm. chef is back there screaming at him to take the gnocchi now. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to because the salad and the, the steak isn't ready. And the chef is, so he has to bring out the gnocchi. It's not his fault. It's, mm-hmm. I think that's such a marker of how the kitchen's performing when that sort of mm-hmm. stuff happens. But, you know, if a cocktail takes too long, I don't know if there's the waiter or the service bar. Is there even a service bar? So to your point, when you're with the host at a table, a man or a woman hosting, they do get the privilege or or the responsibility to direct the head waiter or the waiter. And, and, but when something's going wrong and and they need to complain, that person excuses themselves. They go up front, they get a manager and the waiter and they let them have it in private. Mm Mm-hmm. Your, your responsibility is to your guests at the table mm-hmm. and you, you want nothing to compromise color or jar there. Let them have the fun. They don't, they don't even know anything's wrong yet, but you do because you sense it. You can start to see we're going off the rails a little bit, you know, and yeah. uh, I want people to wake up and pay attention to my table. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I think especially after not have being out to restaurants with large groups of friends for, for a while now, um, it's completely acceptable if you've you know made the plans and you're hosting everybody at dinner and um, you've made the reservations, you're the one that's been in contact with the restaurant, you can step away and ask to speak to the floor manager or whoever, the head waiter, um, to get it back on the rails, exactly. Which, you know, if I was in management, which I was, I would desperately want to know. Mm-hmm. But as much as I want to know, 
I would, I would be so embarrassed. Just personally, I would be embarrassed for me, my team, my restaurant, the name on the door. Oh my God. Somebody had to get up from the table. Oh, just, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. We, so, so I, I went on to go to a, a hotel that had opened up a restaurant called Chardonnay in Washington, D.C. And again, this burgeoning American food scene. We had a chef who was just brilliant, and uh, the dining room was pink tablecloth and lovely. It was all styled after Plaza Athene, the artworks, the marble, oh my God. And part of the allure of this restaurant and this dining scene is that our hotel, our restaurant, had the largest all-American wine list on the east coast of the United States. That was a big responsibility, and I didn't know a lot about wines, really. Uh, you know, had, had definitely I knew my saint Emilion from my Bourgogne, whatever. But, you know, this was another level. These were American wines. The, the winemakers would stay at our hotel, of course. We had, we had winemaker dinners when they came, and, and crafting the menus with the chef to pair with these wines that are coming from Gary Andrus, from Pine Ridge or, you know, the Chateau Montalena would, would be bringing, you know, wines for this dinner and the Barretts would stay with us. Um, I remember Joy Sterling from Iron Horse was lovely and the Mondavis and then Fisher Vineyards and then dropping names left and right. But um, that was a big deal. This, this incredible inventory of all, it was only American wines and to know these famous people the mandavis of all people you know and um the fun of crafting you know um sage you know sage pasta raviolis that are made with sage pasta and then stuffed with a pumpkin sausage Mm -hmm. stuffing is going to go with this chardonnay you know when we have these oysters that are done this way, we're going to use this, you know, Savignon Blanc. Well, that was just fantastic. You, you know, you take all of your food knowledge and you're just pulling out with the chef everything, you know, um, fantastic evenings and, and fantastic banqueting. And uh, it was a big time, you know, mm-hmm. very big time. Well, speaking of food, what would you say is sort of like classic American fare? Like what comes to mind for you? I'm not a good person to put things in cubicles. I, mm-hmm. uh, if someone says, what's your favorite movie? I don't, I don't have favorites. Well, what's your favorite color? No, I have to tell you again, I don't have favorites. And so okay. as we say, what is classic American cuisine? I almost want to say what decade. Okay. Um, but classic American cuisine might be defined if we want to be literal might be very classic American dishes. And it might be, you know, the barbecued ribs with cornbread. It might be uh, Boston baked beans with a smoked shoulder. It might be some of these, you know, the the steak with the baked potato. It might be the wedge of iceberg lettuce with with blue cheese. Uh, I think there's iconic food that would be distinctly American, born and raised in America, uh, you know, peach cobblers and things like that. Yeah. When we allowed our cuisine to be influenced by the world is where I think we got beautiful. And probably in a 
uh, selfish way, I, I, or I don't know. I believe that it was the early 1980s and the explosion of the American food scene. You see, up, up till then, if you wanted a French restaurant, there might be one in town that was really and good. You know, we had two in Washington, Sanssouci and Rive Gauche. That's where you went. Now, if you wanted good beef, you'd go to Blackie's House of Beef and maybe Circle One. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, that's where Washington was a small town and it was a small southern town. When this American food scene blew up, new restaurants popped up everywhere and going out and dining and eating. And, oh, yeah, it was big. To me, that might be my answer of what is iconic American food is what Janet Terry prepared at the West End Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, roast duck with a raspberry sauce with hash browns and there, you know, what, what our chef prepared at Chardonnay, you know, some of the gorgeous French reductions or, you know, the mousseline here that were influenced, you know, with American sensitivities, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that when, when Jean-Louis opened up his restaurant at the Watergate, uh, Jean-Louis Paladin, you know, his restaurant was Jean-Louis. Or Michel Richard at, at Citronelle, uh, Janet Cam and her husband opened up Le Pavillon. Those were decidedly French-influenced. Well, Michel Richard was more American. It's the fusion that started to happen. You know, you could still go to Rive Gauche. You could still go to uh, places and get good, classic, fine you know, French cuisine, press duck and things like that. But even Jean-Louis at, at, at the Watergate, decidedly French, but it was Nouvelle and it was the Nouvelle cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plates were gorgeous and the time, it was all a very, you know, at Le Pavillon, uh, you'd walk in and they had a, a, a Lalique crystal center table, the table made out of Lalique crystal. Wow. arms with glass top. It was a $33,000 to today. It's probably a $50,000 table. Mm-hmm. There are fresh flowers everywhere. And the waiters, you, we were all jealous because they ironed their tablecloths on the tables before they set table. These irons would go, you could in the, in, if they were changing table, you'd see this little cordless iron come out. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. but um, what is, what is iconic American food? Maybe the answer is, is where we are today. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have I, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't think. I mean, I think all of those answers are, are wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure you have probably a answer for this. I've stayed in I've had the, the privilege of staying in lots of hotels and I'm always um, I always laugh and giggle a little bit at the liberties taken with the word continental breakfast. <laughs> yes. So when in your opinion, what would consist of a continental breakfast? I I believe that I understand what that concept is. And so for me, it's quite simple. For me, it would be if you were in Paris and you had a continental breakfast at room service, they would bring you a croissant, de rigueur, a croissant, mm-hmm. uh, maybe one other pastry, mm-hmm. butter and jam, uh, mm-hmm. some, some fruit, Mm-hmm. coffee, tea, um, yeah. you know. Now, if you want, we're at a hotel and we're saying complimentary uh, 
continental breakfast, I'm starting to think this is not going to be plated from the kitchen. We're probably talking more buffet Mm self-serve. Then I would expect a continental breakfast then to have an assortment of pastries um, and absolutely must have croissant, hopefully chocolate croissant, hopefully, um, you know, different fruits and cut fruits and, and, and a whole, you know, a whole banana um, and, and choices in the fruits and maybe you want to add some yogurt. Now we're not, now we're stretching, you know, uh, but I think by the time you're putting on sliced salmon, it's a, it's a full breakfast buffet here, this isn't, you know? So to me, a, a continental breakfast can be rather simple, but I, I worry sometimes that, um, uh, if we're not properly informed, you know, are we expecting the oatmeal, the cereals? Are we expecting, you know, how many choices would there be mm-hmm. for continental breakfast? I, usually not that much. Mm-hmm. Well, I've encountered everything from full buffets with hot plates with eggs and bacon, <laughs> or in Italy, the continental breakfast was a selection of cheeses and meats, a little ol- some olives, fresh fruits, mm. some pastries. Um, and then <laughs> at a hotel in Halifax, there was um, some waxy apples, a banana, and some day-old crescent rolls. I won't dare call them croissants. I'll call them crescent rolls. <laughs> yes. So um, I think that there's... I think that I I, I think the message to our listeners would be this, Billy. If you are anticipating a continental breakfast, you need to have an open heart and an open mind of what they have, what they offer and what they determine is because it's free and it's offered to you. And Mm -hmm. if it is a lump of cheese, you know, and some grits, (laughs) that's it. It's your clue to say, I think I'm ordering off the menu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't trust this place to do continental mm-hmm. and I'm going to order a French croissant. I'm going to order a little brugola. I'm going to order some butter and jam. I'm going to order coffee Yeah, and some fruit. Yeah. Um, what would you say now when you celebrate? Do you enjoy going out to celebrate? Do you like staying in and hosting? Again, you know, it's so situational, mm-hmm. uh, age appropriate, uh, whatever you want to say. So, you know, enough about me and, and back to me. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the travels I had through my career went from that Chardonnay restaurant to uh, the Inn at Perry Cabin. And I'll, I'll bring this up to answer your question, but it's a very long answer. Mm-hmm. Um, over on the Eastern Shore. Over on the eastern shore of Maryland, it was the Inn at Perry Cabin. It's been there for a long time. It's had different incarnations. It's a lovely oak line drive, a big white ramble of a mansion right on the water. It was a, a lowbrow drinking hole at one point. But if anybody remembers the United Kingdom, the, 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 the England London company, uh, Laura Ashley, uh, Laura Ashley Fabrics, uh, famous in the 1970s, uh, she personified the British way of thinking and, and lifestyle and became very, very famous and, and blossomed into home and decor and Laura Ashley sheets, Laura Ashley pillows. You may, you may know the name. Her mm-hmm. husband was Bernard, Bernard Ashley. And together they did this empire. He let her run the company really, but his interest was always in fine things in life. 
A lot of people don't know that Laura died um, in the, I think, and don't quote me on this, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s. She fell down the staircase of their big estate home in in England and died. And um, I think it really affected Bernard. And and the company kept going and the brand was still there. He, He wanted to start opening up beautiful inns. And he went to Wales and and found Langoid Hall. It's two L's, L-L-A-N-G-O-E-D. It's called Klangoid. There's a C almost, a Klangoid Hall. And it was beautiful. The old English country house and and the the rambling rooms and the the manor. The guest rooms were all different and the roaring fireplaces and the discreet service. It was a hit. Very fine. Very, very fine. And when he came to America, the place that he chose to open first, he purchased the Inn at Perry Cabin, St. Michael's, Maryland, and took this, you know, Greek Revival columned mansion on the water, added some extra rooms. And with 42 rooms, each was decorated individually, the breakfast room, the morning room, there was another room. You know, the library, the snooker room, there was another room, these rooms all over, beautifully decorated. Mm -hmm. And I was the assistant manager there. And uh, our food and beverage team was excellent and just super, super. The the whole culture was so different than the hotels that I had known um, that I, you know, you, you walk in, you go to the front desk and the computer looks up your reservation. The person's checking you in, you get a key and go find your room. You know, mm-hmm. no, this was such another level. Uh, there was no check-in. And so when people would call us uh, and, and my direct team there at the front office, the phone calls were never quick. It was very long and it would be, Miss Miss Billy Buttery and her husband. Okay, great. You're coming from Canada. Great. You're driving a gray Jaguar. Okay. Why don't we do your registration now? Let's have the license plates of your Jag. Okay, great. A gray Jaguar. And you'll be right the 22nd around, what do you, three o'clock? Okay, great. While you're here, would you like bike riding, horseback riding? millions of things. Would you like a sailing trip? Would you want to go fishing? And you set up, what's your favorite color? Pink? Okay, great. Now, another phone call comes in and it's a Smiths. They're from Washington, D.C. They have a Cadillac. They're coming around two favorite colors, blue. Well, when, when we had days of arrivals, we would produce for our porters out front the list of arrivals. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the secret for all of our listeners. Anybody wants to know, How did it happen when I went to this really famous hotel and I get out of the car and they know my name? How does that even happen? (laughs) There's there's ways. But our way was the porters knew at 11 a.m. it was the Rock Ledges from Pennsylvania. Around 1 o'clock were the Smiths from Washington. And around 3 o'clock were the Butteries from Canada. And if a car was coming down the drive, the, the binoculars, and it's a Cadillac, DC plates. These are the Smiths. And by the time they pull up, the doors open. Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Welcome to the Anna Perry cabin. Your luggage is already gone. Mm -hmm. And by the time you're walking in the front door, the car is gone. And there is no front desk. I mean, you're just shown to tea. Mm -hmm. And it just sets up this all. And there you have your your favorite uh, Earl Grey tea. You like the Lapsang Chuang tea. Uh, I didn't pronounce that well. But y- your room is your favorite color of blue. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah. blue hydrangeas in your room. We had found out that you wanted fo- uh, feather pillows and your dining reservations for this just couldn't be more quietly administrated for you. Oh, here it is. It's around three o'clock. Here come the butteries from Canada. Yep. Great Jaguar. Here it is. And your door's open. You know, good afternoon, mm-hmm. Mr. And Mrs. Buttery. You're shown in. And there are your pink roses in your room and all that. That whole thing. I mean, we had a different China for every single meal service. So breakfast was in the breakfast room and it was sunny, you know, cornflower blue and, and buttery yellow and the China and the sunshine and the fresh coffee and just wow. And then, you know, the main dining room had its China room service had its China. And if you wanted a picnic, we would roll out the Oriental rug for you and place and have, and you could have your, your picnic on that China. I love that. So, you know, to answer your question, a a special experience, a special celebration. Mm -hmm. And I won't take up more time with it all, but the in it little Washington. And if you've never been to this little town in Virginia, which is little Washington, Washington, Virginia. Mm-hmm. It's just the most incredible experience of dining. Um, and I, I, I won't take that. You want to know what mine is? It's quite boring. At my age, there's nothing better than my birthday. It's very private. Mm-hmm. I want it in my dining room. I want my fireplace going. I want my dog with me. I adore roast duck with a great Pinot Noir, with my dearest friends. It's a very rich experience. It doesn't come with all the trappings of some of the things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no waiter. It doesn't matter how you place your silver. It's, it's my dearest friends, the, the fireplace, background music, the environment. And here we are. We've come full circle to the built environment. Mm-hmm. That it, I think the ambience, the atmosphere is so important, you know, and um, it's music and candles and lighting and flowers and the decoration of the room and the appointments, the tablecloth itself, you know, the silverware, the crystal. And yeah, just now we can talk about the food and the service, you know, but uh, Mm -hmm. the stage has to be set first. Mm -hmm. Well, and the way you're describing everything, it's really as an experience as opposed to an outing or just a meal or just a weekend. It's, it's the experience of it all. And the seamlessness of it all. Yes. Because what good is it? Mm-hmm. The best lasagna you have ever had in your entire life. And you're just at some outdoor counter on a stool with flies, you know, and you're, mm-hmm. you're amazed at what you're eating, but you can't find a waiter. Mm-hmm. And, but at Romeo and Juliet, in this air-conditioned dining room, you know, you've been told, in the back in the kitchen, first of all, it's Roberto Donna, he's famous, but his mom and dad, I think it was his mom, no, anyway, mama and papa, mama sat in that kitchen all day long, hand-making the gnocchi and the noodles. I mean, she was back there doing it, like, oh my God, this couldn't get more authentic. And there you are with the best service, the best silver the most lovely Italian effusiveness and the food and the excitement. Oh man. Now, now we have a complete package, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. I love that. One well, speaking of the pre, the pre interview, essentially before you would arrive at the destination. Um, I 
think that that's something that's lacking the last couple of vacations my husband and I took even before the kids you know we would be in the the VIP quote area and they would send this huge long questionnaire and then we'd show up and it was like they hadn't even read it and yep. Yep. ask all the questions again and we'd be in checkout or check-in for half an hour and it's like I just want we're at the beach I just want to get into my sarong check-in you mean check-in for a hotel yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and it's like, well, you know, uh, I just want to get it. I just want to get going. <laughs> I've got one for you. Uh, I have a very beautiful niece. She's the love of my life. I have two nieces and a nephew. This niece lives in, in Manhattan. And she and her boyfriend uh, were excited that my partner, Mike, and I were going to drive up and see them. And they wanted to go to this very popular restaurant. And I'm going to call it out. It's Jacob's Pickles, Upper, Upper West Side, New York. And it's so popular. Jacob's Pickles. And Billy, you're going to love this because I think this this encapsulates everything we've talked about. So I have my dog who is, in fact, an, an emotional support animal for me. He's my best friend. He goes everywhere with me. He's a beautiful Wheaton Terrier, four years old. His name is Raymond. Exceedingly well-behaved. We fly on aircraft together. We go to the dentist together. He's a show dog, so judges have his hands all on him. The kids at the grocery store come up. He's chill Mm -hmm. but we have Raymond and we're going to go to this restaurant and so I'm trying to call and every time I call Jacob's Pickles there's no answer Uh, you have to go to voicemail and when you go to voicemail it's full Mm. so I'll call tomorrow but if you'll just make your reservation online okay I get it fine so I go to opentable.com whatever it's called make this reservation for four people at this time, I need to talk to the Mater D. I want to. I want to let him know I haven't seen my niece in two years, and that's a long time. And yeah. I, I want this to be special. Really, I, I have a support dog, which doesn't matter where we go. You may want to, as I tell everybody, you may want us more in the back because everybody sees him. He's very beautiful, and they love petting him. And now he's well. Be- and now the servers can't get by. It's a distraction. It's a. I, you know. We're better in the back. So anyway, I call again. No answer. It goes to voicemail. Voicemail's full. I'm getting a little desperate because I need to confirm that you got us. You know, mm-hmm. we, we cannot show up in Manhattan on a Sunday and have an issue with the service dog or we put you guys outside and it's raining and we have no weather. I'm so sorry. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, we just can't do that. I keep calling. There's no answer. So by the time we get there, out there on the sidewalk, hugging my niece, meeting her new boyfriend, he's lovely, and Raymond's with me, the, the, the girls, I mean, I can't say late, they were so young. Well, so was I. Hold on, that's not fair. <laughs> the young women out front looked like they were very inexperienced, and all they had were clipboards because you were being checked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're looking, and they're looking, and... Uh, I think we were 15 minutes early. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. We were right on time. And, uh, yeah, they're looking. And it just starts to build the anxiety. And they're looking at the dog. And one of them walks inside. And uh, I say, is there a manager? Is there some, you know, I want to connect. He's with us. He's very well behaved. But we, you may want to have, like, a table where he, he likes to go under the table, which is really better because that way people don't see him and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
Um, well, finally, they all decided they had a great table for us. They finally got it all straight. And in we go. This place is so busy. It looks a little out of control. The mm -hmm. music is a little too loud. It's a Sunday. Um, streaming sunlight, very industrial design that everybody's doing now. Gag me. <laughs> and they put us at a high top table, a, a high top table that has a, a high banquette. So my niece and her boyfriend climb up into this banquette. Um, Mike and I sit at the two high chairs there, and our dog has nowhere to get to because it's just not, it's a very tiny table. Mm -hmm. And immediately, I want to say maybe 12 inches next to us is another two-top, which somehow they we're going to talk to them, which I love doing. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, they love the dog. So now the dog is over on their side. The waiter is nowhere to be found. I'm dying. We just got here from Pennsylvania. Could we get something to drink? And um, it went downhill from there. I, I, mm -hmm. I won't bore you. The, the music was blaring. I can't really hear my niece, what she's saying. But the food was supposed to be so good. And I happen to love Southern low cooking. And if you're telling me that we have collard greens, I'll be the judge of that because <laughs> I will tell you now, Billy, I make the best collard greens you ever had in your life. Mm-hmm. Done well. They're one of my favorites. Are they really? Yeah. But See? done well. And I live in Canada, so it's hard to find done well collard hey, greens here. <laughs> the, the only, you have to do it yourself. Yeah. And I have my African-American friends look at me like, mm-hmm, you are so white. <laughs> you have no – no, no, no. I said, first of all, number one, we're talking about real ham hocks, no turkey necks. And they look at me like, okay, wait, what? okay, yeah. And I said – and then once I have their attention, I'm like – but nothing, nothing happens till you get a good pot liquor. Mm. And many of them are like, oh, my God. You know, they slap their hand. Oh, my God, you do. You know how to make. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we ordered collard greens and cornbread and beans and all this stuff. The waiter was horrible. The place was packed. They had us right by a bathroom. Mm. Every time somebody walked by, it was, was Raymond in the way. And, you know, but and here comes the food. It's a little out of order. But indeed, the food, oh, my God, the food was excellent. Oh, wow. It was redeeming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we left. But it was handled so poorly. And to your point, you know, whether it's a hotel or a restaurant, you know, you're getting checked in. Mm -hmm. How about you were being welcomed? Mm -hmm. How about they read your questionnaire and said, hey, I know that you all have a handicap. Why don't we put you, you know, I, just the sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the best compliments I ever got from the passenger, um, I think it was, I, I was a flight attendant for a short time and oh. um, uh, for a business class airline, uh, one of our smaller airlines here in Canada. And it was a flight from Toronto to Chicago. And uh, I think that's a kind of a, one of our longer flights, two hours. And there was only five passengers aboard. <laughs> and I got to give them all service and yep. you know chat with them a little bit pour them wine serve them their snacks and one of the men really nice expensive suit expensive shoes rolex you know could tell he was used to fine service when he was getting off the plane he said that was one of the most delightfully uneventful and pleasant flights i've ever taken isn't was, that lovely it was so lovely <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think that is sort of, you know, what we've been saying this whole time is great service is pleasantly uneventful. It's just, that's it. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to say. You know? mm-hmm. And it lets it, the, the patron or the client or the customer really enjoy their time and their experience by not um, having any hiccups or friction when they come aboard friction. or get into friction. the Friction. Mm-hmm. There's no friction. Mm-hmm. Manners lubricate. Yes. So there's yes. no friction. Yeah. I think that's going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had so much fun talking with you today. Um, okay. I hope, I hope to speak with you soon. But if people want to um, learn more about you and follow you online and your beautiful interiors that you post, how can they? Um, how can they contact you? My company is named after my grandfather, so it's Forshoe Interior Design. Our website is www.forshew design.com uh you know our our instagram is at for design um yeah and really the website's the best way we have a blog uh you know um, looking at some things to do on the website that'll be fun we're always updating our website i i think i'm discontent or malcontent and always like to uh, we're, we're, we just had a big photo shoot, so we're going to be putting some of our photos of ourselves on the website and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a foreshoe design. And although it's interior design, I design weddings. I, I've designed a, a prom dress for a young lady that I think was remarkable, I was mm-hmm. told. Um, so design goes in many places, and I think nowhere more appropriate than having hospitality at the table. I love that. Yeah. Usually I um, I wrap up with some rapid fire questions, but I know you don't like to be boxed into one answer. So maybe we'll forego it this time. <laughs> whatever, whatever. We can try it if you like, but whatever okay. works. Well, they're, they're just little silly questions. So we'll go okay. for it. All right. <laughs> okay. Apple or pineapple? Oh, pineapple. Uh, do you prefer to dine indoors or al fresco? Indoors. Do you prefer to host or be a guest? As long as it's good. Uh, fast food question do you eat in your car or wait until you get home oh in the car mcdonald's in the car absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing like it (laughs) delivery question do you eat out of the containers or do you plate situational um Mm -hmm. at home just us uh, chinese chopsticks out of the carton awesome and a favorite food moment from a movie or tv show a movie called big night if you haven't seen it, you must. Uh, and and the the the, the, the uh, pinnacle of the movie, the the the, the dinner. I won't. I, I don't want to take away the movie. It's called Big Night. Uh, Stanley Tucci and some others. It, it's an incredible movie about a young restaurant uh, trying to really get a foothold. I think the big food critic is coming tonight. The energy, the the the, the consummate undercurrent in a restaurant that everybody feels is 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 exemplified. The movie Big Night is, is, is a food scene in a movie. Most indelible. I love that. Okay, and then if you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? Yeah, it's going to be hard. Uh, hazelnut Dequois. Well, I could chat with you for hours, so I do hope you start your own podcast so I can listen to all of your fabulous stories. I got him. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. It was really a pleasure. I uh, thank you for inviting me, and I also enjoyed it very much. Brian.